and welcome to the Brum Radio Book Show, your monthly look at all things bookish in and around the uh, region of Birmingham, but also the the, the world. I think we should We're actually go audience. further than that. I think we should be a glo- uh, a universal book show. You know, so any any of those important Venetian yeah. greetings, Alpha Centauri. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, we've got an absolutely packed show for you today. Uh, we are going to be. Uh, we, oh, look at my piece of paper. My, my eye seat seems to be going. I've definitely place. started um, printing this out on a far too small font. Reading, reading glasses. Um, uh, Blake managed to catch up with uh, a few authors of the uh, Arenda Book Tour, Mega Tour. So um, we'll be hearing a, a few snippets from that and, um, and hearing what that was like. Uh, Catherine's going to be talking about Eleanor Diamond's. Um, no, she's, she's not. not. Be talking about Eleanor Dimer, I might. I might talk about Eleanor Dimer, but about I'll that now probably that be more it. talking about Richard Beard's The Day That Went Missing. Oh right, okay. Yeah. So that's what she's going to be talking about. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, also some new stories um, that have been uh, bookish-related things. Uh, mm. Catherine managed to go to the London Book Fair, so we may have a little bit of chat about that and a little bit of a rant about book piracy and uh, also um, about about you know about what hard time authors have. Uh, of it all really Um, we get such a raw deal well yes (laughs) and more of that I mean I've heard I've heard that some writers are sometimes asked to get like dressed um, (laughs) for meetings and stuff (laughs) and and Catherine um, uh, is going to be getting on to part two or part three of her her tour of libraries (laughs) it's Um, a very slow tour uh, and and, and I for one um, I believe it's Yardley Library, is that right? Ah, you see, I will be touching upon that Yardley Wood, important oh, distinction. That's oh, right, very okay. much the substance oh. of my... Uh... Uh, so uh, that, that is that and more we'll be talking about on the show. Um, before we get on to that, we, we're going to be talking about... Well, we'll have a little catch-up with, um, with everybody. How is everybody? Are we all well? I'm, I'm well. I'm quite happy. Yes? Yeah, you know, given... Given the circumstances, am I okay? For, for, at the time of, of the time of transmission, mm. uh, those circumstances are what? Well, we're not allowed to talk about it, are we? Uh, uh, well, the B word. Blake's already told me I'm not allowed to oh, mention. Oh right, okay, yes. I've, yeah. I've become I've become um, one of the country's leading experts <laughs> on constitutional law. Oh right, uh, okay. Because Just, I've become obsessed with um, with watching, learning, and reading everything about the B word. Uh, for our international viewers that don't care, that B word is... <laughs> well, look it up, but it's what we're all talking about here in the UK. Brum Radio, that's the B word. <laughs> uh, that's it. So um, so what what else has been going on with us? Um, well, I went to the, as I say, I went to the Arenda book show, launch, book launch thing, book tour, which is a fascinating uh, exercise. And I'm really, I'll talk about it later, but I'm really interested to see what you guys mm-hmm. think of it. Um, and then I've been um, reading and, uh, and basically chilling out, and I actually have been writing as well oh, very good. I've decided Ooh. to finish my book you know this this have thing you finished it it's or novel. have no. you decided to finish it I, I, I you know the, the second part <laughs> is, is a requirement for the first that <laughs> we say but yeah no I've, well I've actually got to the last scene uh, oh. and now I've got that kind of yips type thing of like not wanting to let go of the dart and actually finish it yeah um, so that's my situation anyway. But that book is not something which people will be waiting with bated breath, unlike your two books. So those, you've both got books coming out this year. Uh, yes. yes. So I, uh, my next book is coming out in uh, June the 13th, and it's called uh, Half a World Away, um, which it, it's, it's funny, actually, because it's one of those things where I, I don't know if you notice. Sometimes you, you sort of misremember titles. Yes. So um, you knew I was it was an rem- R.E.M. song. <laughs> 
Well, you see, I just thought they were both called Half a World Away. Right. Um, but actually, one's called Half the World Away, and half the other is Half a World Away. So, so REM is Half a World Away. Yeah, what's the other one? And Oasis is Half the World Away. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that um, Oasis. Right. And uh, so, yes. Have you gone for the REM option then? Um, y- like, yes, this is yes, important. I, yes, I, yes, I have. Um, <laughs> and that's by dint of really not knowing the difference, <laughs> to be honest. Um, well, one that goes Half a World Away. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what I did do, though. Um, we had... Um, it was it was possibly the, the single most rock and roll moment of my entire life. So uh, my publishers got this big. Uh, we, we, they, they they sort of had a, a big sort of fandango thing, but they got all the company together in Hammersmith Palais, huh? uh, and um, they were kind of showing their kind of next six months of big books. And I'm walking along, and <laughs> uh, I think to myself, "Is that Brett Anderson?" Uh, yeah, no, it's Brett Anderson having a fag. Oh my goodness! Right? So I go up to the and uh, go up to the green room, and um, I'm there to uh, basically do an interview. I'm, I'm, I'm there to talk about my book, but also to do an interview with um, Graham Norton. So I'm there chatting to Graham. Claire, you that, do, that name? You know, just name dropping left, right. <laughs> then in comes Brett Anderson again, who introduces himself. Uh, in He's followed by uh, Emily um, Emily Evis from Glastonbury, uh, yeah, who's yeah. also got a book out. Yeah. And so, um, so has um, Branson. He's got his second bit of his biography coming out. Um, so then we're, we're sort of having this sort of mega conversation. So then I have to go downstairs to be on stage. Uh, so there I'm chatting with uh, Graham Norton when um, the <laughs> presenter comes across, uh, what's the name from um, Blonde Girl, Blonde Woman from uh, Radio 5? Radio 5, uh, do you radio mean? Five, radio you know, 6. Radio Lauren six. Laverne? Lauren Laverne, she's yeah. doing the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. So with Lauren Laverne. Then I hear this Irish voice go, oh, is that Graham? And uh, it's Bob Geldof. Oh, for God's sake. And I'm just like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> I, like, I like that you name drop, Mike, because I hate it when people don't. When they're out meeting these oh, people, I can't yeah. see when people are being kind no, of I like, cannot, I cannot, you know. I literally cannot be called about this. It was yeah, just, no, good. Yeah, no, it's amazing. So, anyway, how, how about yours, Catherine? <laughs> <laughs> Um, in stark well, contrast I met the guy at the local shop <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, less less star filled um, mine's called Laurie and Max it's coming out in September I think it's a book for kids kids mm. you think it's a book for kids You're not no no it is it's, I, I think it's coming out in September I'm fairly sure it's coming out in September right. I think you've lapped me so many times over on books that now I think you I even lap me it's in between not quantity well, I don't know. That remains to be seen. When it's, but uh, yeah, so yeah, it's quite exciting. We've both got books coming out this year. So rare. Is, is it obviously a, a children's book? A bit different to the previous books you've had. Yeah. It, it is obviously it's not out yet, but it has the process of actually getting it through the shop, so to speak, and been different. You know, is it, is it kind of the way people talk about it? The publishers is it a different kind of beast. Do you think? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's very different, actually, a lot. Um, there's all kinds of I don't I don't know I suppose I just I'm more used to adult publishing and adult publishing as I like to say um, <laughs> um, and Fifty Shades of it seems more familiar territory to me children's publishing is quite strange there's all kinds of invisible tripwires and genre mark markations that I can't mm. see and I seem to have blithely trampled over and so. Um, yeah, well, when you know, like three people buy the book, this will all be proved to be for uh, you know, born out. Do they tell you how to uh, 
when you were writing, did you consciously think about it? Was the process any different to writing for adults? No, no, not well, not in terms of I didn't, I didn't sort of take any advice or you know I just wrote the story and it was only after I wrote it that I realized that this wasn't really um necessarily sort of fitting yeah. into any particular but you know that's okay mm. I think that's fine isn't it you know it, is, yeah. it either you know sinks or swims but I'm I'm fairly happy with it I'm very I'm very excited about it actually oh, thank you, Blake. I have to say you know it, at the risk of sounding like I am blowing smoke I am two very good writers in front of me here anyway before we all become nauseatingly Quite uh, happy with smoke being blown. Um, let's, uh, let's move on. I mean, there's uh, a... Oh, we're going to talk about um, what's on in the Midlands. Mm. Uh, have you got anything? Well, writing... I'm actually intrigued now that I am, uh, as you know, uh, <laughs> a semi-completed uh, writer in, in, in writing courses. And I know this is something that you teach on, Mike, but there's some interesting ones coming up at Writing West Midlands, which um, I'm thinking of, of considering. One is um, writing humour and comedy, which I think is a really interesting things isn't it because humor is is one of those things where it feels like it, how could you possibly teach that and I, I know you can but it feels like one of those subjects that feels like this just should, should just spring out of you naturally yeah. I'm, I'm going straight away to Woody Allen if, if it bends it's funny if it breaks <laughs> <laughs> Who, uh, who's teaching that? It has been taught by. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a challenge. Oh, no. like, who's teaching? Um, I got a bit confused. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, it's somebody. I'm just looking at the uh, the website, and all it says is Viv. Um, oh, Viv. No, no, yeah. yeah. Viv's the <laughs> no, no, it doesn't say Viv. It says via practical exercises. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm really sorry. I don't know who don't it is. There's a picture of this person who I thought was um, Nina Stiff, but it's not. It's somebody called Naomi Paul. Naomi Paul is a writer and performer of comedy, okay. theatre and song. She's published the first collection of poetry. Don't get upset. Um, that is on the, the 6th of April. Okay. Um, and there's, an, there's another one. There's another two courses that they do in the same kind of vein. One is a dark and speculative fiction. Oh. Um, which is exploring the darker reaches uh, of the human experience. Is that the one where we think about what would happen if the Germans had won the World War II? Well, well it, it includes like sci-fi and yeah. everything, doesn't it? So now? speculative kind of fiction, I think <coughs> that, that, genre, that sub-genre you're talking about is like alternative history, I think they call right. it. But this is more, you know... Um, you know the whole broad area of sort of yeah. science fiction and fantasy and that is being um uh, led by mary williams who writes under the name of m valentine williams and then there's one which i'm actually thinking of signing up for myself um there isn't there's uh, advanced poetry two but um that's <laughs> that's possibly not for me I'm, I'm not quite up to beginner poetry one um <laughs> so there's there's how to write prose and scripts there's poetry there's overcoming writer's block there's short stories and then there's one uh, on writing thrillers, which is going to be hosted by Liam um, uh, Williams, um, who is the writer that we've had on the show. Sorry, Liam Brown, oh, who's a writer we've had on yeah. the show. Um, and um, I really enjoyed his, his novel, Broadcasting. It looks like he has another one coming out, actually, this year, called Skin. So, um, yes, if you are interested in, in uh, courses, Writing Most Millions are great, not just for... You know the actual courses as well, but they, 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 there's a lot of support there. I think yeah. for writers um, in terms of the practical side of it as well, isn't there? You know how to get in front of publishers and things yeah. like that. And I think you've got a few events as well. Yeah, I have. So fourth um, of May is the Stratford Literary Festival, We're running a Writers Day. How to get your book published at the Crown Plaza Hotel? I think it was the. Stratford That's a strange Lit- place to get your book published. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Stratford Literary Festival is possibly where I had one of the most surreal experiences of my author life. But I won't talk about that today. I'll come uh, back to that another time. 
time. Okay. Um, and then um, Arvon have just announced something which actually I'm just reading about it and I'm trying to fathom what it actually is. Writing as if the world mattered, 17th to 22nd of June this year. It's at the Hearst um, in Shropshire. Lucy Neal and Charlotte Ducan discuss what tools we need as writers to articulate these realities at both inner, in inverted commas, and outer, in inverted commas, levels. Make meaning in times of urgency and sustain a writing practice. How do we write as if the world mattered? I, I don't even understand what that's about. I feel I should sign up for it because I'm not sure I know what they're talking I about. I once worked for a, a, a very commercial company in financial services yeah. and uh, we got sent a request for some uh, potential work um, and um, they'd obviously had somebody who'd been on a writing course who'd written this request. So it was a, work, it was a financial um, instrument or very, and the, at the very bottom of it, so the whole list of what their requirements were, at the bottom it said, please note, for the purposes of our proposal, it is assumed that reality is real. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's changed everything. Uh, meanwhile, at Birmingham Waterstones, we've got um, C.L. Taylor, who, um, mm. Kelly Taylor, is absolutely brilliant on this, um, like brilliant thrillers. And uh, she, uh, it looks like, is she in conversation with you? With Gillian McAllister, McAllister mm. is, uh, who's also a great novelist of sort of, yes, um, of the show, um, legal thrillers. And so that's on Tuesday, the 9th of April at uh, 6.30. So I might try and come along to that because uh, Craig's a good mate. And, um, well, there's, <laughs> there's me, Danny Dyer, um, which is happening on Thursday. Now, that's Friday. Danny with an I. That's Danny with an I. That's yes, just Danny, um, Danny Dyer that you know, you're thinking of as daughter. Ah. Oh, yeah. oh right, Okay. And, <laughs> you know, I just had a really surreal experience where um, I'm just flicking down and then I, I say, an evening with my girl, <laughs> Didn't know about that. Where's that? What's uh, that? that? in your house? Um, in his kitchen. Uh, that's me uh, at Waterstones. Oh, so what, is, that, is that talking about the new book? Let's uh, hope so. Literally, I've just seen it. Let's hope um, it's not I about advanced poetry. So I, I, I'm talking about the new book, I'm guessing, because it, um, it comes out. He comes out a wicker. I mean, I, I think that might um, be an interesting point about to what extent are Waterstones wagging the dog here. <laughs> they're just announcing your gigs without telling you. I think we will talk a little bit more about Waterstones later because they have been in the news. Mm. Um, and uh, I'll be interested to hear what you guys think of it. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, so um, Catherine is going to be um, talking about, uh, just for those of you that are regular listeners, um, We've been talking about, uh, Catherine has been started a series uh, talking about libraries in and around the Midlands. Public, li- public libraries of Birmingham, yeah. Birmingham. yeah. And uh, we've already had so far... Oh, we've had, we've, we've had the dizzying heights of Bloomsbury Library in Neutrals and Sutton Coalfield Library in Sutton Coalfield. Right, and today, we've today we're doing Yardley Wood. So yeah, I, I kind of announced this with some fanfare that I was going to visit all 37 libraries and write an essay, <laughs> a rather grandly uh, entitled essay about each one. And yeah, I think it's been six months now and I've <laughs> visited three. Well, I've visited more, but actually put pen to paper about three. So this is very far from an essay. This is just some notes on Yardley Wood Library. So, um, but it's, it's an homage Okay. Okay. Uh, One day, when all the necessary preparations have been made, I plan to splash out on a day saver ticket and mount an expedition to Birmingham's shadow territories, those parts of the city whose existence is occluded by other similarly named but distantly located suburbs, their dark twins, Small Heath and Short Heath, Borsal Heath and Borsal Common, Aston and Little Aston, California and Hollywood, Lee Hall and Lee Bank. 
The defining feature of the Shadow Territory is that name confusion overrides spatial logic. This is how for many years I conflated Yardley Wood and Yardley. Many years I should add in which I lived in Kings Heath, which borders Yardley Wood. Many years in which I frequently drove through Yardley Wood and noted how close it seemed and how curious that was given that it was located on the far eastern edge of the city. The mind-blowing moment when I finally realised that Yardley wasn't just a friendly nickname for Yardley Wood was when I discovered Yardley Wood Library. I parked in front of it and considered the facade. I knew Yardley Library and I could see that this was not it. There followed a short period in which various large pieces of furniture in my head were rearranged and then the world fell into a new alignment. If I tell you that this biblical moment of revelation is only one small part of why I love Yardley Wood Library, then you might begin to sense the scale of my devotion. And I'm not alone. Amongst public, public? Birmingham public library connoisseurs, Yardley Wood is considered the creme de la creme of the entire portfolio, as I like to call it. Uh, so here are some reasons why you might love Yardley Wood Library as well. Number one, Yardley Wood Library is just beautiful. It's a 1930s wood-lined, oak-shelved delight. Number two, Yardley Wood Library allows you to pretend you're in New York, should you wish to, when you're in it. It has an unmistakable Gotham municipal vibe. If you're a filmmaker on a budget, I'd recommend it. I'm not the only person to say that, by the way. Lots of people say it's like a New York public library. Number three, Yardley Wood Library is enigmatic. Inside, it's kind of octagonal in shape, but the outside is not. I find it impossible to map the inside onto the outside. Admittedly, I also have this problem with my daughter's school, so maybe I just have some massive spatial visioning disability. It's more likely, though, that Yardley Wood Library is an entirely unique geometric form that defies description. Uh, Yardley Wood Library is palpably loved and cherished by the people who use it and work there. It's incredibly clean, well-ordered, very, very calm. There's always something kind of interesting to look at on the walls, an exhibition of one sort or another. It used to have a very small room that was entirely filled with hand-decorated Wellington boots. I've no idea why, but that's the kind of place it is. There's also a lovely meeting room. It's just a very happy building in which to spend time. Number five reason, Yardley Wood Library has a William Bloy sculpture over the entrance. William Bloy, in case you didn't know, basically made every single piece of public sculpture in Birmingham. You could name any sculpture in Birmingham and William Bloy made it, I'm not joking. He even did the sculpture over the door at rival Yardley Library, but two years after he'd done this one, which means I think that Yardley Wood wins the battles of the Yardleys. This one depicts two cherubs on either side of a globe with the Latin inscription, Sapere Aude meaning dare to know. And there's something very New Yorkish about that too. It looks like it should be above the doors of the Daily Planet. The staff at Yardley Wood Library are outstanding. Uh, that's kind of a really dull, unoriginal thing to say as public library staff come pretty high in anyone's reckoning of universal good egg pile. But even that being the case, the staff at Yardley Wood seem exceptionally nice and obliging and helpful, but never intrusive. I say seem because I never speak to them. When I'm doing my library work, I keep a low profile. Don't don't reveal myself to, uh, you know, I don't want to throw the uh, results at one way or another. But they seem completely undefeated by the difficulties they face every day. And maybe that's because they're working in a uniquely shaped geometric form. Who knows? Uh, the area surrounding Yardley Wood Library is incredibly verdant. It's an almost pastoral setting between Chin Brook and the River Cole, bordered by open recreation grounds. You know, you could have, make a day of it, take a picnic. It's wonderful. Uh, the children's library there is outstanding. Definitely the best I've been to in the city. Really, really well ordered and attractive. Uh, 
And final reason, it had two Mike Gale books on the day oh, I visited. Zero O'Flynn books, but I know that's just because I have a massive no, following no, in Yardley Woods. Yeah, yeah, they really love my own. So in short, Yardley Wood Library is not only a testament to the kind of civic pride once placed in public buildings, but it continues to show how that pride is rewarded and it feels like a glimpse into the past and into a possible future. Sounds absolutely amazing. I know. Um, I feel quite moved. Um, yes. It's a really, it's a really, really nice place. Honestly. I think what you've, what, what, what's come across there really strongly is this idea that we all have. We live in this city, and these names often yeah. just sort of I, like this idea that Yardley Wood is a different place. Yeah. is slightly. <laughs> I it's absolutely my, just thought that they were the same place. Honestly, Birmingham is so confusing for that, isn't it? There are so many places that are like, what is that? Not the same place as. And, and, but also such evocative sounding yeah. names as well. Those really places you see on the front of buses: Glebe Farm, <laughs> Gano. Where are these places? <laughs> Who lives there? Well, what I always get they? excited when I see California. And yeah, I think, yeah, I think, yeah. Wow. The number twenty-two is going now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's brilliant. Thank you for that, Catherine. Right. That was um, wonderful. So uh, that was Catherine talking about libraries. Um, please, please, please let, let us uh, know what you think of um, of uh, Yardleywood Library and uh, of libraries in Birmingham in general, or, or your even like your local library. Uh, you can tweet us at, at brumradio underscore books, mm. or you can um, email us at bookclub at brumradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you'd like to hear more of, uh, and even, should that ever happen, um, what you'd like to hear less of. Um, I, I don't say we, need, we don't feature poetry, so I don't think that's impossible. <laughs> um, so, um, Blake, over the, the last, I think it was about a month ago, mm. um, went, you went to see the Orenda tour. Yeah, now, I'm, I'm really interested to talk about this with you guys, because it's, it's, when you, you talked there about the, the event you did, yes, um, yeah. which was like a big publisher thing. Yeah. So for those who, well, people won't know, Arenda is, uh, is, a, is a small publisher that has been around for about four and a half years now. Um, and they sort of, um, I, I really love them. Part of, I first started it being interested in what they publish because they have amazing cover art, really, really interesting. Mm. All of these books look different and really interesting. And there's not a kind of, um, you know, pink... Um, raincoated girl in sight on them but um what they've done is they've, they've produced a really interesting list of writers who are uh what might sort of broadly call kind of literary thrillers so there's some of them are kind of very different types of them, but always quite um off the wall in terms of, of of genre very different and also simultaneously a lot of translated fiction mm. um and what's fascinating again is is that these are mega stars in their own country these people, the Lee Child of Germany type of thing. Um, but uh, I was talking to the publisher, um, Karen Sullivan, and she was saying how you know, it's still quite a risk um, to port these over. So a lot of the big publishers don't make these translations and don't bring them over. So um, so some of these writers that came to this event are, are you know, used to being hugely fated, the biggest selling writers winning all the awards in their home countries. And then here, and so it's a bit like, you know, one of these bands that you hear of that are massive yeah. in America and they come and do these little tours. Um, but the other thing that was interesting about the event is they had 11 writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, and they're on tour, they're travelling around, and they're all presenting, and they, do, and they call it um, like literary um, speed dating. So they all lay out, they all stand out, uh, sit out in, uh, in a line, and they all have two minutes to talk about their book. And they go down and they have two minutes each um, in, in turn, and then they have questions and so forth, like a more regular event. Um, but what I, what I got this vibe of is they're just having an absolute ball. You know, it is like a band 
going on tour. I've got a, a, I spoke to a couple of the writers there. I'll just play um, you know what they said, and you just get a, a feel for for what I mean. Hi there, I'm Matt Meslowski from Newcastle upon Tyne. I'm the author of the Six Stories series. The uh, current book is Changeling, the latest one in the series, um, all of which the books are true crime, set as true crime podcasts, uh, and the latest one is about the disappearance of a seven-year-old boy in 1988. You're here in a, in a group of writers. Uh, how does it feel being on tour with them? Yeah, it feels almost as if it's like being on tour with a band. I mean, I think if I was in my 20s, I'd be really enjoying this and staying up late, but really, I kind of spend a lot of time in the hotel. Not throwing TVs out windows? No, being nice to the TVs, tidying up and uh, drinking tea. How do you feel uh, meeting uh, Reed? Oh, it's really nice. It's really nice because it wasn't so long ago that I was coming to these sorts of events talking to... Um, authors that I admire and I still do I mean I went to see um, Paul Tremblay at an event in Newcastle and I was quite starstruck speaking to him because I'm a huge fan of his work so uh, having people coming out to see me is, is a really strange feeling but it's wonderful you know I'm Steph Broadrip and I write the Laurie Anderson series which is a action thriller series about Laurie Anderson who's a single mum bounty hunter and the series is set in Florida. Now despite hearing from Walsall you were also <laughs> a bounty hunter yourself. I, yeah, I went to California uh, and trained as a bounty hunter in Sacramento um, working with various bounty hunters out there both male and female to really get a kind of understanding of what the job involves and the dangers and perils that they face on a daily basis. Basis. Now, speaking of dangers and perils, what's it like going on tour with a lot of other crime writers? <laughs> oh, it's much scarier than going bounty hunting. <laughs> um, no, it's a great love. I mean, we all get on really well, and um, it's kind of a bit like a, a week-long party with your mates, to be honest. Um, when we're travelling from city to city on the train, you know, we're all writing and sharing ideas and sort of looking at each other's techniques and, and way of plotting, which is always really interesting. So sort of rock and roll band on, on tour, uh, if you can imagine writers as a rock like and roll stiff band. Re- was it Stiff Records did that? Remember years yeah, ago, yeah, they had yeah, like, they all went yeah. on a big... Well, that, I mean, that together. record label thing, I, I think, is, is another thing, which is, I don't know anyone else where I, I get, a, or I can imagine a publisher and say, I want to read that just because that I know that it's going to be good because I've, I've always had such a good hit rate from that publisher yeah. before. And I've never, you know, the way that some people do with record labels, I've never had that with a, with a publisher where I think, oh, this is, this is probably going to be okay. Well, I suppose that, that was the whole idea about, about uh, publishing houses having imprints, the mm. idea that, you know, an imprint would have an identity. Yeah. And it's, it's a strange thing because it's more of a, a business-to-business thing, the, the identity, because I don't think, I don't think you know, um, readers naturally think, oh... You know, I'm going to read this one because it's from this, you know, it's from mm. yeah. Roads. Yeah. Although, you know, Virago Press, yeah. you know, yeah. people went, you know, you knew that Virago was all going to be all about yeah. feminist books and yeah. books with a feminist flank. Um, less so less so now. Um, but definitely in a business-to-business sense, that, you know, they, they want, you know, publishers do have almost businesses within businesses, businesses with, their, with their distinct, um, you know, what did I call them? Like... Uh, my houses, imprints, imprints, yeah, imprints, yeah. 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 And, yeah. imprints. and saying you know this is something that would suit an imprint, so mm. maybe it's a literary imprint, mm. or maybe this is something more commercial. Mm. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it, it would actually be, I mean, you're saying you, you do do this with a render. You do kind of look out for them because you like their covers and you like their style. And you know, I think I think this would be a great way of raising the profile of, you know, little indies who have got a very clear identity, like, um, you know, I think like Dead Ink Books in the mm. North. They've got this sort of very clear identity and it's kind of a sort of roadshow is a really nice way of doing that. I'm not sure how I'd feel... I think it'd be great fun to do. Uh, I think travelling around with other writers is, is really, really fun because being a writer is quite boring and lonely lots of the time. Mm, I'm not sure how much it'd be great to watch, like, 11, <laughs> 11 yeah, people. I, give, I'd, yeah. I'd get a bit frustrated, I think. I'm what do you mean sure. as, a, as, a, as, as a, a spectator? Well, yeah. I have to say, I, I, I came out, you know, and I think this happens, like, I came out with a big stack of books that I would never have right. considered yeah. um, because, of the, you, know, they, they, you know, you've seen people talk about them and you just feel like, I mean, People don't go and see writers very often, but you do get quite a lot of bang for your buck, I suppose, to get to see yeah. them all. And also, it's not too boring because they're yeah. quite, quite yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that said, though, I mean, it must cost them a fortune just in travelling. Well, yeah. not least because they're coming from all over the world, well, yeah. these guys. It's, it's, yeah. They brought them all over. I, I don't think this is something that will be sustainable for mm. Mm. No. forwards on, on a regular basis. You're very businessy today, well, Dave. Well, You're I, using I, going I, forwards, <laughs> business to business. What the hell has happened to you? Have you been on some kind of course since we last... <laughs> that's, that's Mike Gale, um, content <laughs> provider. Um, but I, I was just uh, saying, just remembering the very beginning of my career, um, you know, launching... And, and I think Blake and I have been to similar sort of events where when they're trying to break new authors, they will take a bunch of new authors on yes. tour. Yeah. And... Um, and generally speaking, because it is about either meeting bloggers or it's about meeting people, booksellers yeah. within the industry. So um, my one, we, we we went, we were away for three or four days um, on the publisher's book, as it were. Uh, we did London, uh, Edinburgh, Manchester, and um, I think it might be Birmingham. Oh, we getting on planes. It was just—it <laughs> was really rock and roll. We were yeah. staying at Maggie's. <laughs> was that back in the nineties? Oh yes, yeah, was back in the nineties when, when the crystal did flow. <laughs> Honestly, it was—it was amazing, and I just thought, "Wow, publishing is so cool. It's all going to be like this." And then, cut to five years later, when I'm doing an event in Sainsbury's with a bowl of Doritos. <laughs> If you're lucky, um, I've got. Any, I, I I was very lucky to speak to, to Karen Sullivan, who is the is the publisher, um, and she's a very inspirational figure. Actually, she was. You could see. You could see the other thing that was really nice to see at the event was the kind of affection that the writers had and the sense of um, of respect that was for each other, but also for her. And, and I and I spoke to her about her experience of setting up this um, label and what she did and um, and why she did it. So, um, let's listen to that uh, now. So I'm Karen Sullivan and I'm publisher of Arenda Books. We are a small independent publisher based in London. We publish literary fiction with a heavy emphasis on crime thrillers about half in translation. And why did you set up Arenda? Well, I worked, in fact, I, I worked on the other side of publishing for quite a long time. I was an author. I wrote books about raising children and, and emotional health and discipline and that sort of thing. And I, I kind of ran out of steam with that and took a, a job in a little independent publishing company. Um, and they got a new bunch of shareholders in and they decided to slash the list and cut, you know, cut the contracts of quite a few people. And, and I just thought I didn't want to be there for that. I didn't, it didn't feel right or moral or anything else. And I laid on my bed for 24 hours and went downstairs and said to my husband we're going to remortgage our house and I'm going to start a publishing company and he said well if anyone can do it it's you. So how's it, how's it been then these last five years? How's it felt? Uh, well it's a bit like being on a roller coaster. 
So we've had superb highs. You know, we've been shortlisted twice for Best Newcomer at the Independent Publishing Awards. I was a bookseller rising star. We've had award-winning books. We've had authors who've gone on to sell 300,000 copies of their books. Um, and, and then, you know, you're faced with the realities of publishing in a flooded market where we're in competition with the big guys. Um, but, of course, if you want to play with the big guys, you have to suck it up. <laughs> I was remarkably naive about the whole process and I think it has been an advantage because publishing is changing at such a rapid pace and the people that are, you know, subscribe to the, the wisdom of, of the, the, the industry and do are set in their ways and do things the way things have always been done are really struggling. So I, I actually just called upon my female common sense um, and, and we're nimble, we're small um, and, and in, we sort of react in, in a different way probably to some of the bigger ones. Um, so, so I don't think there's anything in particular. I think I probably, if I'd known how nail-biting it is, um, I might have thought twice. Um, because, of course, I put my own home at risk by doing this. But, but I, I, I love this job, and it's so satisfying publishing such amazing authors. You also work with a lot of translated authors. And does that have, does that raise a particular challenge? Well, I mean, the, the, the first thing, obviously, is the fact that the, it's a harder sell. Um, there was an article in The Guardian today pointing to the fact that translated fiction is up significantly, sales are up significantly, but it still does make up a small percentage of the market. And one of the things that we set out to do is to, to demystify it. So when you think of translated literature, most people think of something very highbrow and, and literary and worthy. And there are lots of books like that, but but there are also some fantastic books, crime fiction, genre fiction, um, from around the world, and we're in a, a fantastic position to cherry pick that. But we have to then sell that. We have to actually encourage people to to believe that these are every bit as good as the books that are written by American or 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 British or Australian authors. So so that's that's the biggest hurdle with translated. And also they're they're around the world, so they're not always here to promote. And I think a big part of a successful publishing career or authorial career is is engaging regularly with your with your readers. Well, that leads us to talking about why we're here today, the Arenda Roadshow. It's a very unusual way of presenting authors. Uh, tell us a little bit about it and why you've chosen this way. Well, it, it definitely is an unusual thing, but it became clear from, from authors attending festivals that, that readers do engage with them on a different way, in a different way when they meet them in person. And especially some of the international authors with unusual names, maybe like Auntie Twomainen or Shal Uladal. You look at it and you think, oh, who's this? But you, you meet them and they're funny and normal um, and they really read from their books, you hear their voices and their intonation, and, and you develop a relationship with them. So the idea is, is that we bring our authors from all around the world. So today we've got authors, well, this is a four-day roadshow. This is the third of four nights. We have authors from Norway, Finland, um, Iceland, France, Germany, Scotland, England. I do have other authors um, from other countries, but there are 15 authors on tour, and we mix them up. So we find that author or readers are coming to see one particular author maybe one of our English psychological thriller uh, authors and like Louise Voss for instance and they're going home with 10 books um, so it, it does it demystifies the whole thing there we had it so that was the Arenda book show Arenda is a um, First Nations Canadian word I can't remember what it means now something lovely about progress mm -hmm. and so forth so yes um, recommend you to check them out and um, I'm a big fan as I possibly have made clear 
Okay, okay. Um, um, next, we're going to be talking. About, uh, at the top of the show, we were talking about um, London Book Fair, and uh, Catherine was actually at London Book Fair. I was at London Book Fair, and I feel almost a bit embarrassed saying that because you, you say yeah, I was at London Book Fair, <laughs> as though you might not have been. Well, what, well, what is it? Well, that's the thing. It's it's not really for authors. I was always told like it's like a you know a chicken going to an abattoir that you know you should stay away if you're an author because it's just you know it's a trade show. It's yeah. a, an international trade show. Something Mike would go to you know yeah going forward swishing the, yeah uh, marketing budget <laughs> yeah Sorry, go on. Um, business to business that's exactly what it <laughs> is um, and so I was there because the um, publishers who are publishing my book there very little independent publishing this is the first year they ever had a stall at London Book Fair because obviously with any of these things it costs probably you know four billion pounds to display two books and they've uh, they were doing it for the first time so they were having a little reception and so they wanted some of their authors to go and uh, yeah it was it was almost exactly as you'd imagine a trade show to be sort of vast there's like on the ground floor Badges, it's free pens I got nothing free I was so gutted not even, wrong. not even books no I don't know what I was doing I was really looking kind of um, yeah yeah, I was looking like completely available for freebies and I didn't even get a tote bag. I thought a tote bag is the bottom of the line. They even wanted the laminated pass holder back at the end of it. Can you believe it? It was, it was, it was criminal. Anyway, so you've got adult books on the ground floor. I keep saying adult books. I've got to stop saying that. Whatever the word books. is, books for grown-ups. Then there was a whole children's section of sets that looked really exciting. You thought, yay, children's books. And then you get there and they're just talking about sales and point of sale. It's a bit, it's a bit like being a kid, you know, like where, where everything is a little bit more disappointing. It looks really exciting and shiny. There's all these images of book covers. and But then when you go up, it's just kind of people in uh, sort of business clothes talking about mm. business things. Um, and then there's the international rights section where... I think fairly, uh, you know. That's where a lot of the deals. That's are where, where, yeah, that's where um, all the action is really. And I, I, my agent told me not on no accounts go in there because it was just this tur- turbulent hotbed of deal making. It, it, it's like it's like um, agents sitting down and having like twenty meetings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All booked in all day, just talking about their lists. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, so you see lots of agents, you know, sort of staggering around with coffee, trying to kind of just completely wired. So what, what, what did they want from you? Why were you there? Uh, well, they wanted me there to um, be part of the reception for Firefly Books and meet some of their kind of people who but yeah and then weirdly because Firefly are a Welsh publisher I found myself somehow representing Wales on the Welsh (laughs) book which I quite enjoyed I know a few words of Welsh and so I was you know thought I'd try and use those quite liberally as my uh, honorary Welsh person so so yeah I could see this all getting in some hideous massive um trouble where I was going to be exposed as a non-Welsh in, imposter <laughs> but it was fine it was uh, yeah it's quite tragic. but what I managed not to as, well, as long as not getting any freebies whatsoever not even a pamphlet I didn't get any information about hey what's hot at this year's London Book Fair I didn't get I don't know what the hell I did wrong don't worry because I have got a list <laughs> well of all the, the, the books that are hot so um, here's a list of the uh, uh, books that um, that, are, that people are, were really excited about at this um, uh, Everyone except me. So, um, first of all, uh, well, um, Postscript by uh, Celia Ahern, which is a a sequel to uh, best-selling tearjerker P.S. I Love You, which they made a film out of, I think. Mm. That was quite a long time ago, wasn't it? Yes, back, And this is um, revisiting seven years after her husband's death. Um, Now, here's an interesting one. Don't Looking Back in Anger, The Rise and Fall of Cool Britannia. Um, So... Not only am I interested in like, the whole Britpop thing, but it's also written by Daniel Rachel, who I think you'll know. Um, he's, he's actually uh, was a bit of a Midlands 
uh, Face, actually. He was in loads of bands. Really? Well, Daniel, Daniel Rachel? Rachel band. I don't remember that oh, at all. Oh, no, right. sorry. Um, he was, uh, he was in, he was, uh, <laughs> I'm glad he was in the Daniel Rachel band, because that would have been a real missed yeah, opportunity right. otherwise. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I mean, he was uh, an artist in his own right, and uh, he, he's, he's got into writing. Oh, and, right. Um, and so I think this is his... his he's also written um, the biography of Frankie and Roger, actually, which is out there. And we should say, we yeah. should say R.I.P. Ranking Roger. I yes. know, what a, mm. you know, such a lovely face you'd see around, you know, Mosley and everything, such a nice bloke. I know, and, um, I, I, you know, I was a huge Beat fan. Um, yeah. It was my, the second album, um, Eat to the Beat, was the, uh, not say Eat to the Beat, I just can't stop it. Yeah, it my, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the very second album I ever bought, and, um, I just played it to death, and so when I got to meet him, um, uh, probably about two, three years ago, when we did that poetry, <laughs> poetry thing, the um, so the sounds of Arden, the signs, the sounds of Arden mm, thing. Daniel I actually got to go to his house ah, and oh, sit in his right, studio yeah. and meet him, and it was just, it was lovely. Yeah. So, um, so I'm really looking forward to um, uh, reading more about him, and um, so that that'll be that's something to look forward to in a little bit of time of sadness. Um, we've also got, um, uh, oh yes, uh, Scepter are describing this, this next book as, uh, the girl, um, mm-hmm. calling it as The Help Meets Matilda. Sorry, that's for you. The Help um, Meets Matilda. Yeah, yeah. That wow. Sounds, and, that um, doesn't amazing. sound good, it's does it? The Girl with the Louding Voice by Abby Dare, um, and that's coming out in 2020. Um, and uh, it, it's uh, a debut that follows a, a Nigerian teenager seeking her louding voice. Um, an education which is later sold by a father to a local man who sounds interesting mm. and Catherine's got a few more yeah I'm just it's kind of slightly depressing because loads of them say things like subject of a 13 way auction <laughs> which is like the key thing about these books obviously yeah. the devil you know understanding human evil sounds a big pile of lols mm-hmm. uh, that's a debut by a British forensic psychiatrist uh, talking about dealing with people who've done bad things in Broadmoor Hospital. Uh, m- possibly more uplifting is The Paris Library, which is a novel based on the true stories of librarians in the American Library in Paris who worked to preserve books during the Second World War. Mm-hmm. That was subject of an 11-way auction. That's got film adaptation written all over it, hasn't yeah, it? It's just like saying, don't just take our word for it. Yeah. You know, lots of publishers wanted it. <laughs> and it's going to be turned into a film, so therefore read Starring it. Starring Kira Knightley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it may it, well it, be good. I mean, this is unfortunate because obviously the writers have absolutely no, no say in all no, of this stuff. Exactly. Really. The, the thing is, I, I think, again, I'm going to put my business head on. I just think, I think publishers have got a really hard time trying to get attention for books. Mm. Yeah. And so one of the things is yeah. paying a lot of money for it is in yeah. itself its mm. own advertising. Yes, you know, yeah, ad, yeah. Ad, um, ad, to sort of say, look, we believe in this book so much. That yeah. we've we've paid six trillion pounds for it. Yeah. Um, the fact that you know, for every hit there are several misses. Um, you know, it's neither here nor there. You know, you've got to do everything you can to kind of mm-hmm. um, to kind of make Shout books about happen. Them. Yeah. And I suppose um, I suppose moving on, he says, trying to make a, a slick uh, connection there. Segway there. Um, I suppose we've been talking a lot about books and money, and the next three stories. Um, are all sort of related to um, the finances, books and mm. finances, and authors actually making a money. There was an article in the uh, Guardian at the beginning of May um, entitled um, 
and I'm guessing this is a quote from somebody uh, within the thing, I can get any novel I want in 30 seconds. Can a book piracy be stopped? Mm. And um, I don't know what you know, but there's a couple of book sites that have, have popped up recently where um, they uh, have been advertising basically any book as a download, as a free download. And um, a lot of people have been getting uh, hit up about it. Um, and uh, I'm guessing what happens with these things is they get closed down and then they reopen again as something else. Yeah. And mm. they, um, but the, the sort of justifications for them are really odd. And so, um, you know, there are all sorts of justifications of, well, you know, um, I'm a poor student, therefore, um, you know, why should I be deprived of, um, <laughs> you know, culture? Mm. And you kind of just I've never heard of a library before. She says as she reads it on her iPhone. Mm. Yeah. And then you've got um, uh, you've got other arguments like, well, I would never have read this book anyway. Yeah. Um, or there's the uh, the, <laughs> the the For some reason argument. I want to spend twelve hours doing so. <laughs> yeah, now. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's free. Yeah. Um, or um, well, it might introduce me to um, other. You know, I might buy the author if I really like it. I might buy the author's yeah. next book. Yeah. Uh, as though um, it, it, it's all about free publicity. Well, so. these are—I mean, these are all the arguments that often people have said in the past about music, mm. you know, music piracy, mm. and, and to less extent TV and films and stuff. And it always felt slightly more—you know—I think people talk about it in a slightly more victimless way in those yeah. things. And I think that I, I, I was thinking about this and why we—why it feels more viscerally unpleasant about books than it does about those other things for me, anyway. And I think there's two of those things. I think one is that there is. Uh, already an alternative to paying for books, which yes. is libraries. Yes. Um, so, so that is, feels like yeah. it's incredibly galling. Uh, and the second one is there's no other way that you know writers make money by selling books. Yeah. Uh, lease bands can go on tour, and there are alternative mm. ways of doing it. And and you know and and, and TV just feels so far removed from the creator because it's such a massive thing. So books yeah. feel especially. Sort you of are literally intrusive. taking their money from their children. Yeah, and there's no. It feels like there's almost, particularly now that you know, when you have got self-published people for whom there is no intermediary, and if you're just taking that for free, and you know, you've got a 99p ebook, you mm. can buy most of these books for 99 pence. Mm. There is literally no yeah. reason. Or go but, to the library. <laughs> but yeah. the reason why all those people are doing it is not for any of those specious reasons they're given. The reason they're doing it is because they think. Everything should be free. Content yeah. should be free. So whether it's music yes. or TV, uh, they just yeah. don't want to pay for anything. And that's, I kind of think, we've been lucky up to now as novelists that it hasn't been, the piracy yeah. hasn't become a bit, because I just think it's a hopeless fight. I think I think it's like sticking your finger in the dike. You know, it's yeah. too late. And now there's like generations have grown up thinking, just, you, you just, they just think it's their birthright to have yeah. free content. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know where that's going to end. Like you say, I wonder about that. About where, what are the, what else can authors do then? But I mean, all you know, all TV, all these things, they depend on writers at the bottom of it. Writers are going to have to get paid at yes. one way or another. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I know, again, I'll push back on the devil's advocate, but is there a danger that they that they don't? Because you know, there are people that are prepared to, to almost do. This. You know, there are people that publish their books and just put, give them away. Mm. You know, is it does it become something where people cannot become? cannot be be professional and will there be enough you know you see with magazines for example well, magazine publishing is very very hard now because so many people are prepared to blog and yeah. write about yeah. stuff and write interesting stuff for yeah. now and the, the the industry you know i used to work in magazines and the industry is is dying on its feet you know uh mainly because you know people aren't spending the same sort of time uh prepared to spend the same sort of time and yeah. money on magazines you know and and, and the um, 
magazines themselves have become relatively expensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, it, you know when, when you sit down and you spend a year of your life writing a novel, you know, that, that's to have some, some oik um, sat behind a computer just sucking up your life's work. You know, yeah. I, you know that's something I feel actually quite violent about. There um, is, there's been a, um, some legal change this week, hasn't there? Uh, with the EU have passed something called Article 13 now. I'm right, an, yeah. and I was oh, a constitutional go. expert, um, <laughs> which, which has been controversial, I think, because I think there is, you know, that kind of internet freedom kind of well, movement. Only, only in this. the sense that um, Facebook and Google and YouTube don't want to police their content, uh, mm. their people yeah. uploading content, because it's a pain in the backside for them. Mm. Yeah, no, well, well, I'm not here to service them, so no. move on. I mean, you know, it's only probably about, was it about 10 years ago when Google decided that they were going to... Um, have some sort of Google book thing yes. and they were just yeah. going to take people's Old. copyright. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we, we were literally, like, oh no, you have to apply to have not have your copyright taken by Google. Is yeah. it, what is going on? Yeah. You know, imagine just going in and just going, all right, okay, you, you know, you've been working on this project for a year, whatever it is, it's mine now. Mm. Or, you know, or you, you get to, uh, you know, this work that you've been doing as a nurse or as a social worker. Oh, actually, I'm going to take credit for that. Yeah. So, no, I'm not having any of that. Okay. Uh, everything you get from, from the Brum Radio Book Show is free, um, and we are producing this for free. But if you do like the idea of, of helping support us and buying our microphones, um, if you go to the Brum Radio website, there is a tab, Support Us, and you can use our Patreon feature to pay for this high-quality content from these two celebrated novelists and also me. <laughs> Um, um, in a very similar vein, um, it, it seems like we were just ranting this week, but um, Joanna Harris had a... Um, she, Joanna Harris is, is one of those authors that um, is very vocal. And, she's um, quite outspoken, isn't she? And, uh, and she's I, I, she's I really like it. union, hasn't she? Yes, yes. Yeah. Trade union. And uh, I, I really like it, and she, she's very forthright. And she, um, she made this point uh, a few weeks ago, accepted this week, she wrote, um, three festivals all of which pay contributors uh, 150 to £200 plus expensive, uh, one which pays £300, which is supposed to cover travel, uh, rejected, one with no budget for speakers, and one where authors have to pay £75 to attend, but which generally offered to waive my fee. Whoa. Where do you yeah. stand on all this? <coughs> um, I stand on the, it's completely crap, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, you can say, oh, well, you're going out and you're, pub- you're publicising your book and it's all, fine, yeah, we are. But if yeah, it's a big festival publicity. where they're charging quite a lot of yeah. money for seats and there's quite a big audience and you, I mean, you know, the amount of times at a big festival where you look around the room and you think, okay, so this is quite a lot of money, yeah. you know, that they're generating here. And it seems like it's one of those things that, you know, it's like pocket money off your parents. It never seems to go up. I think it's been about £150 for an event the whole time I've been doing it. You know, it's always the same. And yet the whole question of, like, do you get expenses or not, it is a bit crap, really. I mean, that that said, I'll tell you what, there are some people doing some brilliant things. And I did um, Huddersfield um, Festival this Uh this weekend. And um, it was not only was it brilliantly organised... Um, but the I was I was with the organizer uh, the uh, festival organizer. She completely has taken on board everything that the um, Society of Authors, Society of Authors, yeah. all their recommendations in terms of fees, in terms of everything. I did the gig on Sunday. I looked in my bank account this morning, and it must have appeared yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is how you organize a festival, and yeah. I, I think if you haven't got a budget for. Um, 
authors, then you have no right to be um, organising a literary festival. You have to build it in. You have to. It's about, yeah, and it's just about respect and yeah. giving authors, treating authors, uh, they need to have their own respect as well, you know, yeah. respect themselves. And uh, it, It's, um, I mean, um, Joanne Harris again uh, pointed out uh, uh, something that's on the author's website where you can actually, uh, someone very kindly has, has worked out um, the equivalent of what you would be getting paid you know, um, so they've sort of worked out a day rate, I suppose. Mm. So, uh, and I, I, I suddenly read, reading, I just thought, well, actually, I am, I have been uh, asking for far too little money for probably the last ten years because, um, you know, yeah. I'm not thinking like I am actually trying to earn a wage here. Mm. No, and I've I've been underpricing myself by a vast amount. I saw something as well. I mean, this isn't even getting into the whole issue of authors doing events. I saw a, a tweet yesterday from Satnam Sanghera saying he'd actually given up charging, trying to get paid by a university, I which I did years ago as well. I go and do talk to universities now, and I say, you know what, I'll do free. Because A, you know, fine, it's nice to do a talk at university, but B, the whole labyrinthine issue of trying to get paid by a place like that is just You want to get you. paid by a council? <laughs> they, they honestly, I, I, I've submitted invoices to them, and they go, oh, no, we, we need uh, X. Y and Z, and oh, yeah. I spy that, and I go, all right, okay, we'll see you in about six to eight weeks. So, who, who works? I, I have paid yeah. money out already, yeah, and you're not going to give me what is mine. It's outrageous. So, um, for, for those of you listening, those of you who are authors and don't really share these yeah. uh, uh, Mike, Mike is just moving his uh, expensive designer leather jacket to one side, um, popping his dual encrusted mobile phone on the dead. No, it is a very key issue. Um, and, and, and I know we've got a lot to get through before the end of the show, but a quick touch on that was there's been a, a petition recently um, of authors for the Waterstone mm. staff we mentioned earlier on is, is that around the fact that they are not getting a, the living wage um, and the, the guy who, who the owner of Waterstone has said basically we're not profitable enough to pay people enough um, but obviously they are required to do extra things as well as just work in the shop you know they're required mm. to read these books and have an opinion and think about them and read all this and listen to yeah. podcasts like this um, and they don't get paid for it. Um, People should get paid for listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I That's my think, feeling. You know, Any time a CEO, CEO says anything, I mean, granted, yes, it, it, it is only two years since Waterstones um, started making money again. Mm. Uh, they went through a period of, of making very little money. But I have never seen a CEO on strike. No, no. Is there a reason for that? Is that because they get the sort of remuneration that they need so and he's trying to be all very kind of pugnacious about it and saying well okay fine then we're going to close down because you know either either they get this salary this is all we can afford to pay but he was banging on a lot about keep respecting the pay levels for the higher grades and keeping differential and i think yeah but it's kind of more important at the lower level isn't it i think make sure that people at the lower level are getting paid then worry about whether you're keeping your management so if it's most important at the bottom i think so i i disagree with that and i have to say you know whenever i go into warstones wherever it is and i'm sure other bookshops are available but they're the only kind of chain we have left is is you know the the stuff that are knowledgeable you know you can actually and it isn't just uh, you know a kind of you know, slinging books kind of relationship we have there. There are people that are genuinely interested yeah. in this subject and, and are knowledgeable. So, um, yeah, that's what we say. The Brum Radio Book Show opinion is living wage now. Yeah. Or, we're, or we're going to go on strike. <laughs> um, there'll be no more um, Mike Gale books until... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I read a funny thing on... Um, just moving on to our next thing. Uh, I read a funny thing on... Um, 
What's it called? Lit Hub, uh, and they were they were they did a thing on uh, one star reviews of um, of classic books, and <laughs> the classic book that he chose was um, Wuthering Heights, and uh, I just thought I'd read that. Uh, is that by Kate Bush? Uh, <laughs> um, so um, this is a, a one star. This is a very recent one, and, I, and I, so I've gone onto Amazon to just look at the one star reviews of. Um, of uh, Wuthering Heights and uh, here's one it says uh, what a dull novel a boring story with boring characters who are all just terrible people <laughs> that was that was a recurrent theme in a lot of these reviews of Wuthering Heights they're just like they're just horrible people <laughs> uh, here's well, one Wuthering Heights not an easy read because of old archaic English and unpronounceable Yorkshire dialect very slow uh, very slow moving and not a lot happens well, apart from you know this, this gypsy boy raising himself up and destroying everybody around him, um, here's a, a, another one um, entitled "Awful." Starts off well, as gripping as Jane Eyre, which I love. But after a third of the book, I realised it was a book about awful people behaving stupidly and badly towards each other. <laughs> and I, I tell you what, that makes me feel. Um, a million times better about my one-star reviews. Um, well, yeah, it's funny because I, in preparation for this day, I was reading those and I thought, ha, 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 I'll go in and read some of my one-star reviews. That'll be hilarious. What? You know what? It, it, it doesn't lift your spirits, does it? Oh, I, started off, I started off chortling away. Like, <laughs> he says it's the worst book he's read in his life. She says he was the, <laughs> she's just lost her will to live. And then as I went down the page, I was like, oh, I, can't, oh, I don't say I, I cannot picture anything more horrific in my life than I mean the idea of put, I mean, putting myself out there in the way that novelists do you know actually presenting these things it fills me with with amazement and, and respect but this idea of then putting yourself through that of actually <laughs> listening to someone because you spent you know so long I, I actually just just hearing you say that I feel myself withering inside <laughs> I thought I'm never gonna I'm, I'm never quite, well, I'm quite masochistic and you think oh, yeah. yeah 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 lay it on me you know it's probably no worse than I think of myself oh, oh no actually that is <laughs> No, it, it, I, I tell you, there have been times when I've read one-star reviews, and if the person had been there, I would have got into a fist fight. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm absolutely serious. You get a bit Liam because, Neeson today. Because, <laughs> I think the thing is, right? Your, your books are like your children, and if, if someone was to give my children a, a one-star yeah. review, you know, I would be. Um, yeah. Regular viewers of our, our Twitter feed may have noticed that, that I haven't been tweeting of late, and that's because someone sent, someone responded to a tweet I said with. Um, with sort of rude, rude sarcasm, <gasps> um, and I was so destroyed by that <laughs> you that I have deleted the app, and I have, oh. I've, I'm never ever going to get involved with it because I felt so mortified that basically someone sort of said, "I, I disagree with you on a on a minor <laughs> point," oh, and I, and it's a stranger on the internet, and I, I so yeah, that's it. I'm, but again, you know, they, they would never say these things to. Um, to your face, to your face. No. You know, 